I understand that my mom was broken. She was. There was a lot of things that she dealt with. So when I when confronted, she didn't really know what to do with that. You're listening to Disrupting Balance, the podcast, where we are busting myths and breaking balance. Here's stories from women who are pushing boundaries to navigate the decisions and changes that come with work, womanhood, and winning. I'm your host, Hanifa Barnes, speaker, decision strategist, and master imbalancepreneur. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Hope you enjoy. Hey everybody, before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to thank all of you for your participation and engagement in the Big Myth campaign. Today I am announcing the final and big winner of the campaign. And don't worry, for those of you who shared, I will continue to share it out on social media and on the rest of the season of the podcast. Today's winner says that it is a myth to believe that we cannot have it all a life that is balanced by family, friends, and a career that I love and enjoy. With the right support system and a network, we absolutely can have it all and more. Thank you so much for sharing your big myth, Stacey Newton of Maplewood, New Jersey. And if you want to learn more about the big myth, check out my blog, listen to the podcast this season as women impart and share and heal on all the things that we thought to make room for all the things that we are. Today's guest is Toya Barnes. She is a seasoned worship leader that has worked to heal the generational cycle of brokenness. Her voice is her ministry as she finds comfort and security in her relationship with Christ. With two studio albums under her belt, and as a sought-after musical talent in the Southern California church community, Toya has also provided background vocals for gospel stars Donnie McClurkin, Micah Stampley, and Shirley Caesar, as well as R&B singer Monica. This episode will surely make you appreciate the power of healing. So hello, Toya. I am so glad you came to the Disrupting Balance guest chair. I'm excited for our conversation. What about you? I am super excited about it. I am so glad to be here and be a part of what you're doing. Thank you. Yes. So we'll jump right in and we'll start with what is your story? I am from born and raised here in Southern California uh, with Southern roots. My parents are both from Mississippi, mom from Natchez, Mississippi, dad from Jackson, Mississippi. And uh, they came out here for a better life together. And they got married here, started a family. And I am the eldest of three kids. And I've been here all my life, been here in Southern California all of my life. I've lived nowhere else except for college. That was brief, but been here all of my life. And Los Angeles is my home. Yeah, so let's talk about that a little bit. Parents from Mississippi living on the West Coast, what was it like growing up with parents from the South? What were some of the influences in your house that you recall with parents being from the South? 
honestly, the biggest influence was the food. <laughs> that's what comes to mind. That's what came to mind when you asked me that question. Um, my family, my especially my father, he grew up on a farm. My grandfather had a farm. He had a huge garden. So I grew up eating a lot of soul food, greens, uh, black eyed peas, cornbread. So the food is one of is the first influence that comes to mind, but also upbringing. Um, me being the eldest, uh, there was a lot of pressure put on me as far as responsibility. And I think that is a Southern thing, for sure. That is a Southern thing. So those are the first two things that come to mind. Yeah, so... When we talked earlier, you talked about also another element of being the oldest and the impact that had on you between your mom and you in that relationship. So let's talk a little bit about the mother-daughter dynamic and you being the oldest and what ended up happening for you. Well, uh, my mom is the oldest of, I believe, five children my grandmother had. And Let's go back the generation before her, her mother and her siblings. The eldest was an aunt, my auntie Willamie, and she was the least favorite child. And so it was passed down to my mother and her siblings. My mother being the oldest, she was the least favorite. All the other siblings, and when I say least favorite, um, the other siblings, the siblings under her were treated better. And so my mother, as well as her sister, have done the same thing. My cousin and I have the same story as far as not being favored or treated as well as the other children. So that uh, made my upbringing rough. I'll say that. It was rough for me. It was and rough. at any point in time, did you have a conversation with your mom or talk to her about it? Or did you lean on another family member? How did you work through that? Uh, both. I, I did have a talk with her as an adult and, you know, she couldn't really relate to that. Uh, well, I say, I'm not going to say she couldn't, I said she refused to really acknowledge it, you know, because of some, you know, my, I understand that my mom was broken. She was, there was a lot of things that she dealt with. So when I, when confronted, she didn't really know what to do with that. Uh, that question, my question should have generated some type of uh, response to her, like, or, or, or admission. And she wasn't willing to do that. So I had help. I did. I had um, my auntie, my father's sister, my father's only sister. She uh, was there for me as a child because the same thing happened to her in her family. And um, I leaned on friends. Um, I had actually two aunts that wanted to adopt me, but the reason why they didn't is because of what it was, would have caused in the family. It would have been a riff forever. So they did not, but they took care of me the best way they could and when they could, you know. Now, did they actually voice to you or to your dad or mom that they wanted to? Like, how did that interplay go? They did not verbalize it to my parents. No, they did. And I didn't find out about it until I became an adult. So, you know, when they thought I could handle it is when they started sharing with me certain things and they shared that with me. So it wasn't verbalized. But when I was with them, they loved on me in a way in, in, in a way that I wasn't I wasn't getting it here at home. I wasn't getting it at home. 
So they loved on me. They did things for me. They um, favored me because they knew I wasn't getting it at home. So earlier you talked about these generations of women and their experiences of not being favored and how that is attributed to some element of brokenness. So it sounds like there was this cycle happening in the generations and it touched upon you. Are you working through breaking that cycle? What are some of the things you've done to recover and heal and break the cycle of brokenness? Well, um, I have a relationship um, with uh, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, I am saved. I am a Christian. And that and my relationship um, has definitely helped me and has been therapy for me. But I've also um, gone to therapy and I'm actually going to do it again as soon as I find someone, you know, who I think would really be a help to me. So between my relationship with the Lord and therapy, those two things have really helped me along the way. So let's talk about your faith, um, because I know it's a huge part of who you are. And when we talked, you mentioned how originally there was a myth you had around faith and your belief in God. Tell us about that myth and then how you work through it. Yes, 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 yes. I thought that God was this just deity sitting on this, in this huge chair. You know, we watch TV and, you know, the big boss always has this throne. I uh, took that and I, and I thought that God was the same way. And I thought that he was just sitting there waiting uh, with like thunderbolts next to him, (laughs) ready to throw them at you when you did something wrong. And, but I found out that I found out by way of my own mistakes that he is so loving and he is so caring and he is so wonderful. And I found out that way. And and I'm still working on my relationship with him. I'm still finding out how wonderful he is. And how early on did you really recognize that that myth was just a myth? Like, were you in high school, college? Um, I was in, I believe I was in my 30s when I found out that it was just a myth because of my, um, because I had really established a relationship with the Lord by then. And so through my own mistakes, I found out that he would still talk to me, that he would still love me, and that he was still there for me, which is something it contradicted how I was treated. You know, when if I made a mistake at home, you know, say, for example, my mother didn't talk to me for a couple of days because she was mad at me. So she would really not I mean, wouldn't respond to her name, mom, mama, nothing. She if I made a mistake, she wouldn't talk to me for a few days. But God is always speaking and he never leaves me, even in my mistakes. And so. You know, he contradicted his love for me and his treatment of me contradicted everything that I had been through. And I learned to and am still learning to embrace his love for me. So what is like one thing that you would say to your mom now, knowing where you've come in Christ Mm -hmm. and 
healing in the way that you have thus far? Yes. What is something that you would share with her if she were here? I would tell her, first of all, I would tell her I love her so much and it's okay. It's okay. I know and I understand that you were only doing what you knew to do. And I understand the pain that you're in that would cause you to respond to me in the way that you did and treat me the way that you did. And I I love you. I forgive you. It's okay. You don't have to do anything. I would, I would kind of relieve her because I was a reminder of some things for her. And um, I would just let her know it's okay. I'm okay. That's powerful. Yeah. I'm just saying, because I remember the look on her face when I would hit the door and I never understood it until I got older. And I understood as I matured, I understood that I was a reminder of some things about her because I look like her. (laughs) I look like her. The one that she rejected is the one that looks the most like her. So there were some things that I reminded her of. And I think there were some unsettled things in her. So I would just let her know it's okay. It's okay. I love you. Just know I love you. And so in your words to your mother, there, there's a lot of, it sounds like a lot of healing and it sounds like you've come to a point where you've learned how to take whatever that pain was and that trauma was and to make it something, you know, more impactful. And so I want to know about how you use that pain or those things that happen in your life to create. So let's talk about your artistry and how you use all of that stuff to create. When I began singing in church, I just knew that I could sing at first. You know, I was like, okay, I can sing. I can do this. But as I continued in it, in using my gift, the Lord began to give me understanding about myself. So how did I use my pain? I actually sing from that place. I sing from a place of pain, but also from a place of healing from that pain. So when I, when I, when I sing in front of people, I don't, I don't have to be fake. I don't, I don't have anything to hide from you. This is just me, Toya, a person who is still healing from things that happened to her in her past, knowing that I can only stand here because of the Lord. Only by the grace of God am I standing here before you. Only because he placed this in me, this gift in me, can I stand here. It's all by his power. I don't have anything to do with it other than I just said yes and I yielded. And and he's been using me over the years. So that's how I, I use it. And when did you start singing? And when did you know you could sing? What was that moment? You know what? I was a little girl. Um, my mom, going back to my mother, used to go to choir rehearsal at the church that we were members of for years. And um, I would, like the kids, the other kids that would come with their parents, they would be playing in the pews. What was I doing? I was sitting listening to the choir director teach the parts 
And I would learn the soprano, the alto, the tenor. If there was a bass, I knew that part. If there was a special part, I knew the song. So I was singing as a little girl, just around the house. It was actually, honestly, music was a way of escape for me. Because when things were bananas around the house, I had earphones on or I was sitting in the floor with my ear to the radio. So I was singing as a little girl. So I knew then that I could sing, but I just didn't know how it was, how it would later blossom in my adult life. I had no idea. So when did it actually blossom for you? For you? When did you say, oh, wow, I'm actually a singer. I'm, I'm going to put out music. I'm going to perform. Well, I started singing. Um, there's a church that I was a membership, a member at, and uh, I started singing there in the choir because I just love music and I love to sing. But it wasn't until maybe I was maybe ten or fifteen years after that that I was like, you know what? I'm supposed to. I'm an artist. Like I'm supposed to release music, and so. It's just like something I just kept, you know, how you, you're on a road and you just kind of, you keep going, knowing that you're going somewhere, but you're not exactly sure until you get there. That's how it was for me. Oh, once I got to that place, I was like, oh, let me put out some music. <laughs> and that happened in my 40s. <laughs> I was in my 40s when I started writing for my first project. So were you scared at all or were th- or not yes. even scared of it? Okay, yeah. So yes. tell me about those I, emotions when you first started that. Oh, my God. I was so nervous because now, I don't know, when there were albums and they used to have like the big album and then you would pull the cover out and it had the words and stuff to the songs. I, as a child, would pull that those words out and read the words and read the titles to the songs, who wrote it, who produced it, who played on it, who was the drummer, who was the, the guitar player, who was, who, was, who was the piano player, keyboards. I used to read all that. So I understood the format of a song. I understood verses. I understood a bridge. I understood chorus. I understood all that. But when I started writing, oh my God, I was afraid I wouldn't make sense. I was afraid that people wouldn't like the sound that was coming out of me. I was afraid of being rejected. Yeah. I was afraid of being rejected. So how did you get over that? Right? Because you push through, you have albums out, you've been performing. How, what was the process like for you to push through that? I knew that it was something I was supposed to do. So I couldn't let fear stop me. And so I kept pushing myself because I knew that that's what I was supposed to do. I just had a knowing that I was supposed to release this music because I knew that people needed to hear, however many people, I, I, you know, I didn't have a number in mind. I didn't have um, a platform in mind at the time, um, but I just knew that people needed to hear the music that was being written and the music that was coming out of me. Even now I get nervous. Like I just released another project and um, even now, you know, I still get, I'm like, you know what? I still get a little nervous, but I know that people are receiving from the Lord through the music that he's given me. And so how many albums have you put out? Tell us about your discography. I have two. Uh, My first one was released in uh, 2016. It's called New Thing. It was under the name Toy of the Artist. Um, But later, through another growth spurt, 
a few years later. Let me see. I put that out in 2016. I knew that a couple of years later, which would have been about 2018, I knew it was time for me to do another project, but I needed specifics. So once I got the specifics, I reached the specifics, I should say, sorry. I released another one and I actually released it this year in 2020. I did the live recording in 2019 and I released it February 29th this year, 2020, right before the world shut down with the pandemic, about two weeks. So I have two CDs. The, the second one is called El Elyon, which means God Most High. That is wonderful. I mean, I like that you're able to still find a way to go after your dreams and you are the definition of age ain't nothing but a number. Okay. That's right. That's right. There's so many people out there saying, no, I can't do it. I'm to this. I'm to that. I don't know. You know, do you ever encounter those people in the industry and do you find yourself mentoring them or talking them through some of what you went through? You know, I, I've encountered people in just different, it's not just music. I've encountered people, period, who think it's either too late or they're looking for this kind of start, that kind of start. I have this this business. I need to do this. Like a, um, a girlfriend of mine, she is releasing a lip gloss line. And she just so happened to be talking to me about it. And I was like, well, wait a minute what do you have to, what do you need to do? I'm about to release. And she was about to release it, but I had to encourage her on the business side to go and register or trademark her stuff because she, you know, we're artists. We don't like the business side. So I had to encourage her about the business side of it. You need to go and register your stuff because if you don't register it, you just make it available where anybody can come in and say it's theirs. So I encourage people on different levels. It's not too late. Uh, the business side of it, know your craft, know your business. I mean, and you kind of take this mentorship even into your church with the young people. Talk to us about your role in the church and how you help young people and walk them through their own faith process in that journey. I just let them know. I tell them what I, I think they should know where they are. Like there are a few young ladies who, one young lady, uh, she just launched her t-shirt line. She has t-shirts with slogans that she comes up with and she has a line and you can go online and you can buy it. So I encourage her all the time to keep creating, keep writing, keep, you know, keep a pad by your bed. Um, Another young lady, she sang for us yesterday for the first time. And I encouraged her. I said, listen, I mean, she's young. I think, I don't even think she's 21. And she was so nervous and I could see it. And I just remember the first time I did it and I just encouraged her. I said, don't stop, you know, keep going. It gets easier. It gets better. Um, And we joked about it. And I told her, I said, the only thing I can't promise is that the butterflies won't go away because I still get them, you know? So keep, keep going, whatever it is. Um, There's some young men that I talked to as well as far as their music and their goals and their dreams. We have an actor that goes uh, to our church. We have a a musician and they know me and they know a part of my journey and they know how old I am and they're all in their twenties. So they're like, they just look at me. They was like, well, you know, they call me Miss Toya. Miss Toya, if you are still moving and you're still creating, then I need to get busy. They kind of take, my journey as an inspiration. Some things I, you know, I too, do take opportunities to t- say things to them, but I know they're watching too. 
So if someone said, well, how do I get started with that, like singing and recording, what would you tell them? What are some simple steps? Uh, simple steps is, are you a writer? I mean, what do you what are you doing? If you want you have music, do you just have song ideas? Do you know do you know any musicians? Do you know anybody who can put music behind your your ideas, your melodies that you're coming up with? What do you want to do with it? Do you want to record it? Uh, you know, there's questions because, you know, people have ideas and songs. But again, it's back to the business side. you got to know the business side. What do you want to do with it? You have to register it. Once you write the song, once you record it, you know, do your recording, you have to register your music. You know, there are certain things that you, you need to do. But first of all, you need to know what direction you're going. What kind of music are you writing? What genre does it fit in? Is it country? Is it soft rock? Is it hard rock? Is it Christian music? Is it R&B? Are you a rapper? Are you writing verses? Is it hip hop? What is it? And then I just instruct from there. You know, what is it you want to do with it? Do you want to perform? Are there any open mics around? Right now there isn't, but I mean, you know, any open mic nights where you can kind of get used to being in front of people because it's a process. Some people are naturals and they're good, but there's a process with with getting um, comfortable with being an artist. Your, your platform everybody's not supposed to like it. It's you're called to a certain group of people. And once you realize that and get comfortable with that, then you don't have to be concerned with the ones who don't like it. I just need to highlight what you just said. And it's <laughs> that you're called to a certain group of people. Yes. That might even be something to tweet because people in any industry, like you mentioned, whether it's uh, music or, or um, theater or at a teaching or whatever you're doing, people think everybody needs to like them for them to feel successful and to move forward. To that point, you are called to a certain group. And so, it is true. Yeah. It is the truth. Yes. So another question on instruction. So let's say someone says, well, Miss Toya, if they're a certain age, or Toya, if yeah. they're not a certain age, <laughs> are there steps to becoming a believer? Uh, and if there are, what are they? How do I do that? I've heard about this God thing, but what am I supposed to do? Well, they have something called the sinner's prayer. And uh, which, you know, it's it's really it's basic. Lord, I accept you into my heart. You are now my Lord and Savior. Uh, some people lead people as far as like, you know, I repent for my sins. Please forgive me of my sins. Um, you know, it's 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 a couple of variations I've heard, but that's the gist of it. And then um, be connected to or or in attendance to a Bible based church. Somebody that is preaching from the Bible. Um, and you also, discipleship is definitely important. You need to have somebody walking with you. And most churches do assign people to new believers just to come, you know, just like it's an assignment like, you know, here's my number. Call me. You know, you need to have somebody that you can talk to, somebody that you can have questions. If you have questions, you can ask when it's not Sunday or Wednesday night Bible study. Um, and also to spend time in prayer, spend time fellowshipping with the Lord, spend time in his word. And uh, 
establish a relationship from there. Most importantly, God will not strike you down with like oh my a goodness. from on high. No, he loves you. And and he loves you. And yeah. that's what I would tell them. I said, God loves us so much. And enough of more of that needs to be preached and more of that needs to be taught. Because that's all we really want is to be loved. Really, we want that. Why do you think your voice matters? My voice matters because of my journey in life. I'm 53 years old. I'll be 54 this year. And I have a powerful testimony. I have a powerful testimony just about deliverance. I have a powerful testimony about the love of the Lord. I have a powerful testimony um, how God has saved me and kept me, kept my mind. Uh, he keeps he keeps me alive. You know what I mean? It's literally, literally my physical body. I mean, I've experienced some things just health wise, you know. So my voice is powerful because of my story. And my story is still being written. My name is Toya Barnes, and I am disrupting balance by pursuing my purpose, destiny, and personal restoration through Christ and not settling for anything less. Thank you for listening to Disrupting Balance. To learn more about how I'm disrupting balance, follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest at Disrupting Balance. You can also check out my website at www.disruptingbalance.com to get podcast updates and news from the Balance Disruptor community about how you can become your very own master in balancepreneur. Talk soon.